0: Well hello Chris. Hey John. Happy Super Tuesday to you. It is a Super Tuesday. I'm getting ready to go vote. You're registered in such a way that you will be able to vote in the in the primaries. I am not.
1: Oh no, that's lame. That's lame-ish,
0: you know, but I'm independent Chris. You can't you can't pin me down to a party. Of course at times like this I realize it would be wise to have picked a horse maybe. Yeah, yeah. Do you feel proud uh, going to enact uh, your, your civic duty?
1: Yep, I'll go in and I'll put my hand over my heart
0: and... Uh,
1: Uh, say the Pledge of Allegiance and then I'll uh, salute and I'll announce loudly, I'm proud to enact my civic duty. uh, 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 Interrupting everybody else's voting and then I'll vote.
0: I think that's really the only
1: way to handle it. (laughs) Right. That's the
0: the protocol as I understand it. (laughs) And we're talking about episode three of season two of Better Call Saul, which is called Amarillo. And unlike the episodes thus far this season, uh, which were called Cobbler and Switch, this was not an episode where the name really kind of revealed any particular meaning as the episode rolled along. This was called Amarillo because an inciting incident had occurred in Amarillo. Uh, And it was the, the cold open of the show, the little scene with Jimmy uh in the cowboy hat laying in wait for the, the stalled bus full of seniors. Oh, that part was in Amarillo. Okay. Yeah.
1: I I didn't even pay attention to the the uh episode title and so uh he had me on that one. I love at the end of that when he's they're all headed into the restaurant and he's taking their their forms and he says uh uh
0: beautiful penmanship, a lost art. That's just such a great example of the the sort of bullshit that he spends when he's when he especially when he's talking to these senior citizens. There's something about his relationship with them that turns on a particular aspect of him where his His flim-flam is kind of charming in a way. Yeah, he's great at it. It might be because these are people that, like, a lot of their families don't necessarily take the time to sit down and talk to them. So that even if he's, you know, even if he's manipulating them, he's at least sitting down and talking with them or, you know, meeting them where they are. Do you find that the show, its treatment of the old folks, do you ever find that, like, that it's tipping over a little bit into into caricature. This episode in particular was heavy with jokes about old people. Yeah,
1: you, they might need to watch out. If there's a defamation league, uh, then uh, then be on your toes. Better call Saul. You can expect a telegram from them soon. That's right. <laughs> it's definitely at odds with the uh, older folks of modern prescription commercials who are always uh,
0: out and about and hiking and, and uh, camping and traveling the world. I mean, I wasn't saying it because I was offended. I just noticed that it's like I'd feel the same way if they were making a lot of fat jokes or a lot of short jokes or anything where you just go, are they, is this allowed? I'll wait until I'm 67 to decide if if I'm offended. So this episode for me was a bit of a come down, not necessarily in terms of quality, but just in terms of mood and and the general feeling that I had about it. I remember last time I asked the question of just, is it going to suck the fun out of all the scenes with Jimmy, knowing that he's, you know, kind of lying to himself a little bit, and more specifically lying to Kim, and in the broader sense now maybe lying to the partners at the firm or the both firms. It, it was that step down into a little bit more of the the just the ways that this is not going to work. Jimmy at Davis in Maine, Jimmy with Kim. It just seems like it's not going to work.
1: Yeah. I think it's going to feel that way because of the situation where he's, he's now he's a lawyer at a big firm. Uh, and so it's, yeah, that's like a different show where you're, you're watching a lawyer at a big firm who's in danger of messing up his job and messing up the other uh, lawyers in their, their whole case and everything. Uh, so, uh, I'm not expressing that well, but just the the box of the situation that surrounds him, it, it creates a different uh, picture of Jimmy. And instead of feeling like, whoa, this is crazy. I have no idea what's coming up. This can go anywhere. You feel like,
0: oh, we're watching a show about a, a particular guy in a particular spot. And as, if maybe the first season was about surprising us with, with how much we're going to like this guy who turns into Saul Goodman, who we always kind of liked. This season seems like it's about the sort of painful part of that—the fact that it is, you know, in order to become Saul Goodman, Jimmy McGill has to uh, disappoint people who vouch for him. Mm -hmm. I did think, even though this episode wasn't heavy with content between Jimmy and Chuck, or Chuck at all, really, I thought this was uh, there was a a, the the back and forth between the brothers McGill really seems to me as though it's going to become bigger and bigger as as the story goes along because Chuck is so clearly sort of not buying what jimmy's selling yeah you know we're in the know and chuck is in the know and maybe now i mean i i just had this notion that maybe we're seeing jimmy through chuck's eyes a little bit more yeah and chuck totally kind of uh called him on on it and really
1: questioned him there in the meeting pretty boldly uh but uh uh yeah jimmy made his way through i like when when he's uh kind of failing and and uh he reaches his foot over to Kim and she <laughs> pulls her
0: feet away. That's a really good device for showing you her getting mad at him. When you look at Ed Bagley Jr., who I don't think we've mentioned yet, as Clifford Maine, is he going to be another sort of Chuck figure for Jimmy? In other words, a, a a serious man who's disappointed and kind of rejects Jimmy? I mean, what do you see for that? Like, Do you think Clifford Maine is just kind of a heavy who's going to be a reality check? Well, last night he sure was. He, uh,
1: you know, he... he balled Jimmy out on the phone, and Jimmy had a hard time uh, worming out of it in any way. Uh, I mean, we know he's not going to have a great relationship with Cliff in the long run, because he's going to have his own little office, but even for now, it's it, it, this. he was being so hard on him last night that it seems really
0: hard to smooth over. Anyway, when we see Kim watching the commercial, she's reacting with this kind of disbelief that he got the boss to sign off on it. We see him struggling with whether, whether to show it to Cliff,
1: and... Almost going in there, and I guess he's just really nervous about it, and for some reason decides better to, what's the expression, uh, you know, uh, get forgiveness
0: than permission or whatever. He may not be thinking about the way that it's going to blow up, and he's just really not professional enough to see that coming or to understand why that is such a uh, an unpardonable sin.
1: Right, and he said to himself, I'll just put it on in this one
0: market, just the one showing, and that'll prove that it's okay the main thing seemed to be attaching the firm's name to it in a way that, you know, who knows what the complaint is going to be, whether this is just unethical or whether this is a, a terrible ad and we're offended that you would attach our name to it, you know, but it could be all of the above. I did think it was funny that how, how dead on the ad was. I love bringing back the little old lady with the the figurines. Yeah. That was a nice touch. Right. I love bringing back the film students who helped him shoot the video in the first season yeah. that, you know, h- hanging on the billboard. And it was the same kind of no love lost type relationship between the characters. <laughs> right. They didn't they didn't do anything to change that. And, and then eventually when we see the ad, I loved the you weren't even looking for this. But there was a moment in the previous scene where they're wondering what they're going to do. And then the little old lady comes down on the stair chair and they kind of look over at her. And I didn't at the time I wasn't thinking, oh, Jimmy's got an idea. But when you finally see the commercial, you realize, oh, the uh, the idea, the light bulb over Jimmy's head was we can get the camera move if we put the cameraman in the chair. <laughs> because the shot of the little old lady is angled from the, the stair chair. You right, know, the, the, right. The, the smooth fluid shot that would have required a jib or a, a, a crane or something to pull it off. Right.
1: I did not realize that's what it was. That's very clever. But, but I'm glad uh, you got that and pointed that out because I just thought, hmm, I wonder how they got that shot. But, yeah, it makes perfect sense. That's right where her chair is.
0: And it makes sense that that scene ended with the clever little reference line of her saying, I'm ready for my close-up, Mr. McGill, yeah. which is a reference to, I'm ready for my close-up, Mr. DeMille from Sunset, Sunset Boulevard. Boulevard. Yeah. Yeah. Norman Desmond. Um, we've covered a lot of the stuff with Kim already, but I did want to just address how squeamish I feel in their scenes in this episode because the there's a there's a sort of banality to the the way that he is pushing her away that is kind of depressing to see. There's this like relationship rot that can happen when you, you're telling a lie to somebody or they're telling a lie to you, and it's kind of sitting there between you, and you're both in denial. And there hasn't been that she hasn't reached critical mass yet with just how much shit she'll take from him. Mm-hmm. But in this episode, I mean, I she was more combative after that meeting than I expected her to be about the stuff he was doing. Mm-hmm. You know, she, she, like last episode said, I don't want to hear about it, and now she's like saying, stop everything you're doing. Yeah, because now
1: she feels like she's
0: going to end up getting fired. Uh, for vouching for him. So things have just soured between them then, right? There's really no way this can work if he's going to continue on the trajectory that he is.
1: Right, but she doesn't know yet whether he'll pull it out and whether things will be okay, so they're not broken up.
0: So it was fun for approximately an episode and a half to see those two characters together. (laughs) Right. Well, we haven't mentioned Mike much at all. What did you think of his stuff this episode?
1: Um, It was typical Mike. It was enjoyable to watch um, him on a stakeout as he brings his Probably same usual snacks and, and his same transistor radio and listens to baseball while he goes on a stakeout. But it was uh, uh, perplexing to me that he doesn't tell his daughter-in-law. It seems like he would have broken down then and said, well, okay, I staked out the house and I found out it's newspapers. <laughs> Rather than uh, – like why didn't he do that? And then on top of that, she, she says, he says to her, uh, we'll get you – uh, moved out of here, uh, you can, we got to find you a, a new place and that's that or something to that effect. Like what is what is behind that that he wouldn't just, uh, is he just so sure that it's no use that, that she's going to be paranoid and, and there's, there's no helping it and so now he's got to help her
0: raise the money to move just because she thinks this is a, a bad neighborhood? I mean, we saw that nothing happened that night. And we saw her be sure that she heard something at a certain time. Right. And in my mind, I didn't know, is she paranoid and flipping out or is she lying? Assuming that she's not manipulating him in in, in any way on purpose, that she's not lying Mm -hmm. to him, you know, Mm -hmm. and she's really just that paranoid. Mm -hmm. It does seem like Mike would have an option other than facilitating this. I think he just has such complicated feelings and such guilt surrounding anything to do with her. Right. Because it, Course, makes him think of his son but it's like I've got to help
1: her even if her anxieties are
0: unfounded I didn't know whether I was supposed to believe that that was really what it was that it was the newspapers because that seems kind of yeah kind of nuts but I don't know I, I there may have been a way to make that click better for me as a as an aha moment for whatever reason his desire to kind of capitulate to her is to me is a little bit clearer because it's easy for me to believe he would do anything to to deal with those feelings of guilt and those feelings of, of regret that he has surrounding right. her. And I know, could that. believe that on
1: a small scale, you know, of like to the degree of, oh, well, I'm going to keep my mouth shut so I don't cause her more anxiety or whatever. But when it comes, you know, if the result is now he's going to become a hired hitman and uh, kill somebody so that he doesn't have to tell her, you know what, it was just some newspapers. That's pretty wi- wild and wacky. <laughs> Um, but, uh, and I think, I think they were, I think they were trying to tell us it's definitely just some newspapers that I think, I think they were trying to telegraph that. And, and to whatever degree it uh, was left as seeming like sort of a maybe, I, I don't think that's what it was supposed to be.
0: I just couldn't decide like whether I was really like whether they had really done enough to make me buy that, that sound would sound like gunshots to somebody. Right. Why is he sort of enabling her paranoia rather than leveling with her.
1: I mean, I could see not wanting to say, you know, because it was a secret stakeout, not wanting to say, well, okay, I sat outside your house last night. Uh, you know, but when the result
0: is you you end up going out and kill somebody. It's pretty kooky. At the very beginning, she said, don't make me regret that I told you. He's trying to hide that he's staking out her house, that she didn't ask for him to do that, and she right. might say, get out of here. Yeah, Maybe what we're just responding to is that she's turning out to be a more complicated character than, than than she needs to be. She could easily just be saying, I need you to help me, Mike, but instead she's saying, there's this thing, but I don't want you to do anything. Mm-hmm. The true reveal of that is that maybe she's, I don't know, suffering from some kind of <laughs> dementia or something, I mean, we just don't know. I kind of see what you're saying. He's deciding to kill people for money, over something that seems like before you before you would kill someone you would level with someone.
1: If indeed he does. So maybe maybe they're just teasing all that and he'll turn out to turn down Nacho's job. But we know that he ends up killing
0: people left and right for for Gus Fring.
1: Eventually, yeah.
0: The one thing that really stuck with me about this is that he is making choices too. Uh, you know, we we focus on Jimmy's trajectory and we've kind of looked at Mike as a guy who's kind of doomed because we see how he dies. And it seems like he's basically already this compact, self-contained character who can come in and assess the situation. And in the end, he was undone by underestimating just how, you know, how narcissistic Walter White really could be. Mm-hmm. In this episode, I really thought about how Mike is on a journey, too, just like Jimmy is. And maybe we've talked about that before. But this was a reminder to me that that him taking on this hit job is actually a significant turn for him if he takes it on.
1: Right. As far as we know, he... he has been sort of the muscle on a couple of minor things, but hasn't been a real
0: uh, criminal. He's just an ex-cop, right? Well, I mean, last season the the worst thing he did was in the flashback to killing the the guys, the corrupt cops who killed his son. Right. So that was bad, but it was motivated by that quest to avenge his son. Right. It wasn't for hire. He has a, a trip to take before he's the mic we know, too. And last night was the night that I was like, oh, yeah, he is a, an old guy who's taking on these jobs and trying to stay out of the really serious stuff, whereas the mic that we know later is is neck deep in the really serious stuff. It just was something I had not, had not thought about as far as his story and how far it has gone. So Nacho said he needed someone to go away. Uh, who do you think that is? I don't know.
1: Your mind... First goes to Tuco, just because that's like a character we know who's in his world, but I don't think it's going to be him, so
0: I think it's going to be somebody that we don't know. What do you think? I guess maybe it being Tuco seems satisfying in a sense, because they've mentioned Tuco, and we know that those characters are associated with each other.
1: Right, but he knows that Mike knows who Tuco is, so... The line, I've got a guy, instead of, I need you to kill Tuco
0: Salamanca. Why would he speak in code about this guy? Unless this it's just the writers being contrived to give us a cliffhanger. The reveal there is that it's a hit job. You
1: know, that's that's maybe enough information for us to be intrigued by and end on. And so if it turns out to be a stranger we've never heard of, that that's still, that's good TV. I like the story, if it is that way, that, that this is this is the reveal of his turning from an ex-cop who's killed a couple of cops, into a hitman.
0: Why would Nacho need Mike to do this instead of any number of uh, underworld types or killers that he's probably already associated with?
1: Um, That's a good question. I don't know. I guess, uh, I mean, we like to think in fiction that sometimes you just need an outside person, and that's why hitmen exist, uh, supposedly. I don't know how much they exist in the real world, and it's probably much, much more often when you think that you just get your nephew who's in the crime family to do the job rather than going, I'll hire a person who I don't know that well. It doesn't seem very practical, but in the world of movies and things, you do go around hiring people who, who you don't know that well. That would point to, oh, it could be uh, it could be Tuco because now, you know, everyone who he's close to is close to Tuco and he needs an outsider to come get him, or or it could be someone in his uh, anybody in his, his uh, uh, gang or crime family that he's like got to reach to the outside
0: to come in and, and kill them because they're all in cahoots. I guess I don't have a whole lot more to say about this episode. I did want to ask you if you are in the habit of watching the previews for the next week when they do the next week on at the end of the show. Do you watch those? Yes. I know some people consider those to be spoilers. I think
1: of it as part of the show, you know, because it's like the the show itself and the network have sanctioned here is a taste of what's next week so it's sort of like a little part of this episode to, to show you a preview of next episode and next episode it does seem like a spoiler so cover your ears if you don't like that part but because uh, uh, we see uh, uh, cliff telling Jimmy we voted two to one to fire you or the partners voted voted that you should you should be out of here or something like that right and uh, yeah uh, but at the same time that that makes me think they're usually very cagey about the previews. They don't give you much that tells you much of anything, and uh, so to put such a a giveaway on there makes me think. Well, that probably means he does not end up getting fired. They just put that in
0: there to to make you think it's going left when it's going right. The Mad Men next week on were were known to be these arcane little works of art because of how little they would reveal about the next episode. <laughs> right. They're like, what? Oh my. Hello. Okay. And I think that was actually almost like a running joke that that Matthew Weiner had with, with the network that, you know, that he, he edited together the most unrevealing footage uh-huh. of what was happening. And, and 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 Mad Men would be a show where an episode would be like a little movie unto itself. So you you could also you, it wouldn't help much anyway if you saw more revealing scenes. You didn't know if the next episode was going to pick up where this one left off. Yeah. But with uh, Better Call Saul, Breaking Bad, that kind of thing, you kind of know where the next episode's going, or at least you feel like, oh, this is, is the episode where we set this up. Next episode is where the confrontation with the partners at Davis and Maine really comes into play. So we're seeing something that I thought might get dragged out over the whole season get addressed within a few episodes, which is how quickly does he kind of uh, muddy the waters over there at Davison and Maine. Yeah. It feels like we're seeing a real downturn for Jimmy. Maybe the comeuppance that we've been talking about is going to happen sooner rather than later. It seems like the thing with Kim, uh, things with Chuck coming to a head, it just looks like it's all moving a little bit faster than than I expected. Right,
1: but two sometimes if it's like Breaking Bad was, I feel like you would, you would sometimes get into a spot where you feel like, oh my gosh, three things are coming to a head, and then you would have another episode that like you were saying earlier, is kind of a break and takes a sidestep and and, uh, one of the things gets addressed halfway and the other two get laid aside for a while and then you come back and those things play out. So it doesn't have to continue to happen as fast as it might seem to
0: be happening right now, is all I'm saying. Like, we're so far from knowing what this season's actually going to be based on just how many different directions they could take these characters. How much trouble do you think Kim's going to be in uh, for vouching for Jimmy, does that seem? Do you think that's going to be her undoing, or do you think something worse is going to happen to Kim?
1: I don't know. It, it, again, with predictions, it could go anywhere. But it, that could just be there to uh, put her job in danger and make her break up with Jimmy. But she manages to keep her job, or uh, they could go any number of ways. It, with, with she could end up losing her job and he keeps his job or moves somewhere else and has an even cushier job that can do anything
0: for her to be ruined would would be something that would be on an episode of review with Forrest McNeil mm-hmm. you know the, the Andy Daly show yeah where there'd be some person caught in his wake that you would just feel terrible for <laughs> yeah yes yeah it
1: would be horrible but totally I mean that happen. would be
0: a strange that would be a strange play but that might be where they're headed is for us to actually sort of not just be ambivalent but actually be actively opposed to some of Jimmy's actions you know I mean right now we're still sort of on the fence with some of his methods like I guess solicitation is a much more serious thing than I might have guessed that it was I didn't really do a lot of research on it or anything
1: I didn't realize it was a thing at all but there must be some weird gray line about it because you can put out an ad obviously that says do you have means with Eliama whether whether Jimmy crossed the line or not is the question and I guess yeah when he got on the bus he doesn't think he was crossing the line or says he wasn't but yeah that that seemed pretty solicity.
0: Well, I'm not clear yet on whether we're supposed to believe that Jimmy really is enough of a kind of amateur that he didn't know the lines he was crossing or the extent to which he's always thought this. it all comes out in the wash if you win the case, you know? Yeah. Or if you get the evidence. Like, I don't know how many cases he's won, but a guy who wants to go out and get the evidence... I remember hearing a long time ago that their conception for this character was that he was a lawyer that had never never gone to court with any of his clients, you know? And that that was kind of their premise for the character. Uh, And I thought that was a funny concept for a legal show, a lawyer who will do whatever he can to cut a deal out of court. And they kind of blew that out of the water in the first episode of Better Call Saul by putting Jimmy McGill in court. You know yeah but what I'm now thinking is maybe they're kind of working towards that as like a character trait that we've begun to see the guy whose experience and his expertise is not based around the niceties of the law and how to put together a great case but how to get evidence and shake things up enough to maybe make a deal do you know right. what I mean like right. maybe we're seeing the genesis of that Um but I would also love to see some great courtroom scenes with with Jimmy McGill so maybe we'll get to see a little bit of both yeah
1: oh I was gonna mention um just something uh, small and funny that I noticed. Kind of a kind of a DVR joke. You have to. You might have to pause it to to notice. Uh, the title of the commercial Jimmy makes is "Who Stole My Nest
0: Egg?" <laughs> <laughs> Question mark exclamation point. No, that's great. I love that. That that, that's, that just rings so true to that that type of ad. I I, I guess if we're just pointing out little things, I loved. Um, I don't know if I'm quoting it exactly, but Clifford Maine saying to. Uh, to jimmy on the phone howard told me you were a little eccentric but he didn't say you were a goddamn arsonist yeah Whew. which is like again just cutting to the to the chase there you know
1: yes he's really in trouble
0: he's really in trouble and you realize what a thread he was dangling by with with uh clifford main in a way that i don't know was apparent before that you know that this this was a guy who was maybe viewing him skeptically like was he really shocked at jimmy's behavior or was he sort of like i knew this was going to happen i guess we'll find out he was shocked he just thought
1: that jimmy was a little eccentric that's all he heard is what i gather and that this thing he thinks is so crazy and stupid that you'd
0: have to be uh, an arsonist to do this right you'd have to be somebody who really doesn't care about the overall consequences of of what they're starting right well i'm I don't care about the overall consequences of what we've started, Chris, with this podcast. I, I'm going to keep making it until, uh, I don't know, what do you think, next couple weeks? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll go, we'll go
1: one or two more and
0: see see what happens. <laughs> if you want to see this podcast keep going, it would be great if you gave us a, a nice five-star review on iTunes. I think the five-star reviews are the ones that help us in the charts. So if you like this show, rate and review us on iTunes, give us those delicious five-stars, You can also approach us directly via email at SaulSearching at gmail.com or on Twitter at Saul underscore Searching. And if you don't have anything else, Chris, I only have one other little thing I wanted to add, just a little note that I thought was a neat neat point. Okay, go ahead. You don't have anything? No, no, I'm satisfied. Uh, Did you notice that the pig that Mike was playing with when he was playing with Kaylee was the same pig that he used... I th- I think it was somewhere in season five. I should have looked this up, but somewhere in season five, he hung that little motorized pig that wiggles around on the door of someone that he was gonna kill. In that, that was knocking around, and it made the person think there was someone at the door. Oh, right. As Mike's victim was was peeping out through the the peephole, you know, to see what was making the noise. He snuck up behind him and you know popped him in the head. So, right. Uh, I I thought that was an interesting little little callback or or, or call forward as it kind of
1: is. Yes. We got the origin story of the pig that knocks on the door. Hot talk. Hot talk.